Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of MG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, and I'm joined by Ross Merriam, but Ross, you're not in your normal area of the country. In fact, you're in the exact opposite, aren't you? I am in Seattle, Washington. I've been here since oh, last Saturday. So I didn't realize it's been that long. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I was one of the earliest people in um uh seeing my friends from college that I haven't seen since before the pandemic. Uh, one of them got married recently and they're holding, uh, it's actually tomorrow. Uh, they're holding sort of, they did like a small ceremony last fall and this is, you know, sort of like a reception, but like six months later and much bigger, which I think is a genius idea. Um, and so we all sort of came in early so we could, you know, catch up and see each other and then we're doing that tomorrow. So. Uh, it has been a great week. It has also been a very exhausting week because we're basically just living like we did in college and we're in our thirties and that's a difficult. Uh, it's like funny that you said that. I actually, I think some people maybe who like watch the show saw that I, I, I tweeted something out. I know I think you interacted with it. I tweeted something out like a week ago where I went out with some like quote unquote college age people. They were, you know, <laughs> all over 21. Right. But it was, yeah. um, you know, I was playing some poker here and one of the like local guys is a friend of mine is like, he could tell I was kind of like bored in my game. My game wasn't great. And he's like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, ah, I didn't have any plans. He's like, hey, a few of us are going out. It's blah, blah, blah's birthday. You know, another another one of the players that I know and like. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, what y'all doing? He's like, oh, we're just going to this uh, this bar downtown just for like a little while. It'll be pretty, it'll be pretty chill. Narrator voice, it was not chill. It was not for a little while. Um, <laughs> I ended up leaving like relatively early, but it was just really funny to have that experience because like everyone in the group, I didn't realize how young some of them were. Like one of like uh at one point we start talking about age because it's one of the guy's birthdays and he like just turned twenty four or twenty five right and I thought he might have been in like his you know early twenty I mean mid twenties to maybe like late thirties or but he's just twenty five right and then the other guy's like I'm like well how old are you and he's like oh, I'm twenty two and I was like God damn I'm old or whatever right <laughs> and this girl just goes what are you like thirty or whatever or twenty nine or something I was like I'm laughing I'm like you're sweet and she's like no seriously like are you like thirty and I'm like no I'm I'm thirty eight I'm about to be thirty nine. And she, like, didn't believe me. I had to, like, show her my, uh, my license. <laughs> it's like people find out that I'm older than you by a significant amount. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just don't, they don't believe you. And, uh, I, it, there's, like, part of me that's kind of, like, a badge of honor. You know what I mean? That, like, people don't believe you, But I think I'm starting to look my age a little bit now. I'm just, like, more tired. But anyway. Yeah, eventually have, like, catches up with you. Yeah. So, like, I barely drink anymore. I think I've told you this. Like, barely ever. I, like, socially drink. That's about it. And I had... For like we were there for like I was, I was only there for like an hour and a half. I couldn't take any more. It was like crowded and loud. But yeah, old man. Yeah, I get it. Um, but I had like I think two drinks and a shot, and like that's it. And it destroyed me, Ross. Like <laughs> like I could barely sleep. I was like not hungover, but just like off the whole next day, like foggy and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just my body was just not ready to have that in there anymore. And uh, yeah, I'm old, so I feel I feel what you're going through. Ten and we've, we've gone through five cases of beer. Right? Did you say, this is did like you say fifteen cases. People. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, you said fifteen. That's like I, no. I was thinking like six, seven, maybe eight. Okay, fifteen yeah. is like that's okay. Uh, but and but it, it's it, it's tough to to. <laughs> <laughs> I I think today is going to be a nice slow day. A bunch of people ju- went to the aquarium while I'm recording this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't particularly interested in that. So um, yeah, yeah. I think we might get some Indian later. You know what? He made me just want to get Indian food. Damn it. <laughs> I want to get Indian food now. I, I actually, I cooked a couple days ago for everybody. Uh, mm. made, made a big casserole of eggplant parm. Made some, mm. made a big salad. And then uh, I roasted three gigantic heads of garlic. And then uh, 
mashed it into some butter and spread that over some some bread to make some roasted garlic bread. That was the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm gonna have sounds to do that really again. good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that again. Um, but really, the highlight the highlight of the week I've got to tell you about was the, uh, yesterday evening. We went out onto Lake Union in hot tub boats. Hot tub boats. Yeah. Okay. Not something I knew existed. But this sounds something right up your alley. But it's incredible. Yeah. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's basically just a floating hot tub. Okay. With, you, have, uh, you have my interest. <laughs> with a little motor and a tiller to steer. And it's wood fired. There's like a uh-huh. wood stove in the front of it that keeps it hot. And it goes like three miles an hour. And you and then it has like two little basins on either side that you can store beer in. <laughs> and they just let you go out onto the lake. And you're just sitting there. And it also has a Bluetooth speaker. It was just, so we just got three of them because uh, it's max six people in a tub and went out for a couple hours. And we're just out in the middle of the lake, you know, in a hot tub. At one point, there was a guy that that uh, rode up to us on a sea dew and is like asking us about us like that. Is that just a hot tub? And then uh, he he then uh, when we explained it to him, he just looked at us and said, damn, that looks lit as hell. Mm-hmm. And we're like. Yeah, it is. It is. He then peeled off at like 30 miles an hour in his jet ski. But um, yeah, hot hot tub boats. It has like his cool dude moment. He's like, it's like peels <laughs> off. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I'm, uh, I'm very jealous. Other than that, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on in our lives of magic and stuff lately, because uh, there's been quite a bit and uh, it'll actually bring some changes in the way magic's going to be happening over the next few years as well. Um, let's first start about the PT. So there was a pro tour a few weeks ago, and Ross, I want to talk about this a little bit. So I haven't been to, before this pro tour, I hadn't been to one of the new uh, pro tours, aka Magic Cons, since they started up. I think this was the third one. There's been like Philly and Vegas, I believe, right? And then this, and then they're going back yeah. to Vegas, I think, right? And from talking to everybody, it seems like they've learned from mistakes at the first two and just like continue to, continue to get better and better at all the events. And I'll tell you this. Walking in, especially getting to walk in a little early before the masses of people get there since I was on staff, um, I was not ready for the sheer scope and size of the event. Like, Ross, it's it's gigantic. So the room yeah. the Pro Tour is in is... Uh, did you play in the Team Pro Tour in Minneapolis a few you know, I did not. Years back? Okay, so I, I played in that one. It's, it's in a room that like housed that event, right? And yep. so that room has an area for the Pro Tour, a huge stage that, that had set up with like all the you know backstage stuff, and then, you know, uh, some side areas too for other events, uh, a full players area as well. Like they, it, it's not as good as the players area when, you know, like I was on the pro tour in the early late 2000s where it was absurd. You know, they yeah. have all kinds of crazy cool stuff. They have like video game cabinets. But it's still, and... it was huge with like sofas, and TV, like food, water, coffee. You know, I mean, it was a nice lounge area for the players. And it was very heavily used as well, which is nice to see. Like the players were in there, like relaxing watching the coverage, et cetera, et cetera. And then the rest of the room was just probably another few hundred tables of like free play area, right? You know, just tons of tables for people to play. And there was like an arena area station where you could go up and you could play arena, learn how to play, et cetera, which was like really cool. And some other, another couple things. That's the main, like the main room where the price was going. Next to that in another separate room was one about two to three times the size of this one. And it felt like, do you remember the Grand Prix, how they would feel back in the day when they started getting really big with like three and four K people? Yeah. And they got it, like too big to yes. keep track of and are like, you, 
it just it's sort it, of yeah re- yeah it got ridiculous it felt like that like i walk in and the sheer scope of it is just gigantic so like the 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 play area for like the tournaments is humongous right it could have easily fit like a few like look probably a couple thousand people for a grand prix right and they had all these cool side events going on with some really sick prizes too like you know they have the the tournament where you get the I think it's like one of four brainstorms or whatever, you know, yep. the, the, the special brainstorm is probably worth like, you know, 10 to 20 K or something like that. So like, you know, that's going on. So there's some really cool prizes going on. Some of those events, there's like a commander zone, like all kinds of cool stuff. Then there's like the actual convention itself. So you go in and there's probably like, I don't know, 10 to 15 different vendors. There's an, an artist alley. It's like one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. It's gigantic. There's the actual like wizard store. Like the, the 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 official one where you get like the really cool stuff. I ended up spending like three or four hundred dollars in that store to get myself a some cool swag and b like some stuff to wear on coverage when I'm like not wearing suits and stuff. Like when I do coverage in a few weeks, you'll probably see me if you watch about. You'll see me in some pretty cool like magic gear, right? You know, like I got the uh, the '93 letter jacket, like Letterman jacket. Nice. Yeah, it just looks like you're like a high, you know, it just, it just looks cool, right? Like I just love it, right? So all that's going on. There's another giant stage where panels were going on all weekend, like at a cosplay contest. Like Riley Knight was up there, like mo- you know, like in seeing the whole weekend, like lots of cool stuff going on there. Um, there were like celebrities everywhere too, like magic celebrities and non-magic celebrities. Like I, this was pretty cool. I uh, went and introduced myself to Hunter Pence. Because he was there, because you know this is where like my two worlds collide, like two of my favorite things, like magic and baseball, right? If everybody doesn't know, Hunter Pence was a very, very good uh, major league player for like 15 years. Uh, not a Hall of Famer, but like not many people were. The Hall of Fame in yeah. in, uh, in baseball is very he, small. Hunter Pence is probably like a two or three time All Star. Probably way more than that, actually. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up because I'm curious. Uh, maybe all I know is he was like he was a very, very good player for a long time. Yeah, he was on my fantasy baseball team several times. Yeah, he was, like, really good for a bunch of other teams. Let me see if I can find his accolades. Because, like, he was one of those guys. He was never the best player in the league, but he was just, like, very good. He also was, like, I think he's a two-time world champion as well. Like, you know, they won, like, two yeah. uh, two All-Star games. Four, four, sorry, four-time All-Star. World Series games. So, four-time All-Star. Okay, so he looked up. So, yeah, just a very solid player his whole way through his career, right? And, uh, like, he actually recognized me. He's like, yo, can I get a selfie? And I was like, all right, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, like, that was pretty cool. And then... You know, there was, you know, a bunch of other people. On the, and I mean, and I'm I'm not even doing it justice for how big and awesome this was. And if I wasn't working myself to the bone that weekend with like 12 and 14 hour days for every day. So I barely got to experience the actual convention. I, I'm telling you this. If Vegas happens and I'm not working it, which like I don't think I will be. We'll see. Because there's one going on in uh, Spain before that. But then there's Vegas. I'm going just as as a average person like you know, just a I don't what do I say there just as a person who is not competing or being on staff just as a regular person's going because it was that cool it was that awesome to see and I want to be able to experience the entire thing plus uh the things that went on after the conventions every day were awesome there were like parties going on at like hotels and bars and pubs and you know you'd go there you'd recognize a bunch of people like I saw people I hadn't seen in a, a lot of time a lot of time, got to say hello to a bunch of people, and it was just really awesome to see all that. So, like, I'm actually going to go to one of these as just a fan at some point if I'm ever free to do that. Then, not to mention, the actual Pro Tour itself was utterly ridiculous. Did you watch any of the coverage for the Pro Tour? Um, yes. Were I you impressed? Mostly overall? the top eight, though. Yeah. Okay. So, w- when I say that this is the most well-run event I've ever been a part of, I'm not. I'm like understating it. 
Uh, the team that they got the brought in, that they brought in there, I don't want to know how much money they spent on it because it it had to be a lot, like a lot, a lot. But I'm sure their budgets are a lot higher now since like it's not just a pure like Pro Tours had to be pure losses back in the day, and like they actually might make money from this, you know, with the convention part of it and people buying badges and spending money, etc. And there was like at least twenty something people in the back running this that you never saw. Not to mention all the on-screen talent, and then people like me and Frank Karsten who were like helping out, but like you never really saw us on screen. You, you, if you watch every single second of the coverage, you might see me for like five seconds, right? Yeah, but you would see you, people saw you if they were there in person, but you don't yes. see them on. on I, yeah. I specifically had us place to stand where the seventeen cameras on the thing can't see me or whatever. You know, there's like a little like three, there's like a three foot like circle where like yeah, a little blind spot. Yeah, it's a blind spot. Or like you'll see my leg or something. You'll see my arm or something, right? So the amount of people involved is unreal. The tech involved is unreal. Like you go back there. I should have taken videos and pictures just just to show people how much actually goes into this because it felt like a real like TV station that was going on back there. And I found out that the team that did this, this is the team that did the Olympics for Canada and like some other big stuff. Like they, they are legit. And you go back there, it's just you know, a ton of people. And it's, it's like every TV show you've ever seen or movie where they show the behind the scenes of like how things get made. It looks exactly like that. There's just a ton of people with heads. Everyone has headsets on. They're all talking to each other and it looks like a, like a, almost like a, a mess, but it's all coordinated perfectly. And like the battle station where the main dude's at has like, you know, 17 screens of a million things going on. He's like, all right, ready camera three, ready camera three on red go. And he's like, two, you're coming in in 15. You know, it's just like everything you've ever seen. I was like, I was blown away. And I was like, man, I really want to be a part of this at some point because you know we do some shows that i'm very proud of but we have very bare bones production you know we're doing it with like the bare minimum right we have people working you know two to three jobs of like two to three people while at this place yeah there's people working jobs of more than one person but you still had a ton of people there to cover all the stuff so um i want to go back and watch the coverage at some point because the new ways in which we do coverage is amazing too where you're generally okay so everything is filmed live but you're almost never watching anything truly live there's yeah, a delay except for like the finals, every, right? Except for maybe the finals because the way we, we we stagger it. But what that does is is like it's crazy. So like while I'm like doing coverage for like the match that's going on, there's a bunch of matches going on behind me, right? That are all getting filmed and at some point are going to be put onto the screen as well. While I can see the whoever the casters are because their their casting desk was like out in the like the main area. They're just elevated up above it and they're going on. But then. In front of me, if I look past the match that I'm watching, I see the news desk thing, you know, like where Maria and Monty and them are, like most of the time. And I see them just filming stuff all the time. And it'll be like halfway through my match, and I'll see them film like the intro to the match that I'm doing, right? And so they're filming that, and they're going to play that, then go into my match, and then they're going to go into the stuff behind me. And then, you know, the people up there are like casting a match that's already happened and stuff. And I'm just like, this is unreal production. But what it does is there's almost no downtime, right? So when you're watching this now, there's no longer. I remember when you'd watch stuff, even like SCG, you'd watch stuff and like if the match ends like 30 minutes in, you're like, well, it's going to be, you know, another 30 minutes before they even get pairings up. Like you're not, you're not running into that with this coverage now. You're getting wall to wall coverage, magic all the time. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it, I love seeing it. It's like, you know, when, uh, when like TiVo and DVR first became a thing and you would, you could record and, you know, uh, you know, start recording something. And then an hour later, start watching it from the beginning and just like skip through all the, all the ads and stuff like that. That's basically what they're doing. They're just, you know, 
starting they because the coverage starts a couple hours later than it otherwise would because you're not going to get it live and they need to build up this sort of bank of content and then they just you know continue to record more live while showing you stuff from the bank so that the bank stays you know somewhat full and running through the full day without any now time it's it's on it it feels so obvious. I'm sure it really requires a lot of extra hands and extra technology that maybe, you know, they, they either didn't have or didn't want to pay for years ago. But conceptually, it just feels like this is the way coverage should have been yeah. for decades. I, I think that's the thing is like, it's probably something we've known for like coverage is known for a while. This is the way it should be done. And we've done it with, um, we've done it with like less people and, it's harder to to do to the extent that they do it. You know, it takes so many people and so much technology to make sure this works and runs seamlessly. And, you know, going through a show, you're almost never gonna have one that's perfect where, you know, something doesn't go wrong. You know, like I had to like run and fix something once at one point and like make an executive decision and then like talk to Rich afterwards, you ever shake on and be like, was that okay? And he's like, yeah, 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 that was fine. I was like, cool, cool. I didn't want to, you know, piss anybody <laughs> off or whatever. But like I had to make a literal decision like right then and there. I'm like, uh, do this, you know, like, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah, and it does I, put I, more pressure on the people working it, right? You're y'all are in a much more you know fast paced environment. Yeah, unique. yeah, and like I also don't have power either. So like you know what I mean? Like I I'm in no way integral or important. You know, I mean I am, but you get what I'm saying. Not into like any <laughs> position of like making decisions is what I'm saying. And you're very valuable. Shut up. <laughs> exactly. But so uh, it was a standard pro tour. Um, it was pretty fun to watch honestly, like from the perspective I had, because I just got to watch some of the top level players play uh, from a personal span standpoint, doing cards in hand is what I was doing, right? I was standing behind players with an iPad and I was like switching cards in another hand at like breakneck speed because I covered LSV multiple times, uh, a couple other players who would like hide their hands or put them down or they would shuffle like Kibbler and stuff and it just makes it really difficult. Or like if you watch any of the games that LSV is playing, he plays unbelievably fast and his deck would draw like five cards a turn. So, <laughs> And maybe like discard a card, play a card, do whatever, and like keeping up with that because you have to physically take the cards out of the hand and then add new ones. You know, trying to keep up with that, I think I deserved a medal for how well I actually did for LSV because he is very difficult and stuff. So, um, but who, all that was awesome. Who, who, again, who made it easy? Um, any of the like, so a lot of the players, if you could tell it was like their first time or they were really trying to make sure they didn't mess up, you know, they play like. I think methodical or safe might be the right word. Like you've seen me do this. Yeah. Right? I play a little bit slower than I normally deliberate. would because yeah, I'm very deliberate. Yeah. Any of the deliberate players, those were like pretty easy, you know, yeah. especially if they just kept their hand up, you know, but like also it's, it's, you're not used to it, right? I used to have someone I'm standing right over your shoulder. And before the game starts, like you keep your mulligans, you know, like, you go through your mulligans. You're like, I'm going to keep this six. And they're like, okay, uh, pause. And we literally pause the clock. And I'm like, can you show your hand to me? And like, they have to show their hand to me so I can put their hand in and stuff. And, you know, people just forget, and I don't want I don't want them to think about it, right? I don't want them to play differently because I'm over their shoulder. So like yeah, I kind of trying just, to be minimally intrusive. Yeah, I roll with it. Like I I have never I never spoke to a single player other than, hey, can I see your hand at the beginning of the game? You know, like I'm like, I'm never gonna say anything. You just they won't have all the information in the cast. That's fine. You know, kind of thing. So that was pretty cool. Like nobody was I mean, only like the only reasons anybody was difficult is either you're A, they would like completely hide their hand and it's very hard to, you know, keep up, or it's like LSV who just plays at breakneck speed. His hands, you know, his, his cars are always changing, etc. So, other that was great. Um, a lot of the same decks did well at the tournament, just because I mean there is a best color combination in standard. You know, overall, like Rakdos of some variation is very, very good, right? It's just extremely solid. It was very good. 
There were decks that did well against Ragdos, but not great against the rest of the field, etc., etc. But the big announcement coming out of the weekend was the fact that they're going to try to make standard relevant. Oh, can we can go we ahead. can we yeah, pause before we yeah, get into that? Because sure, there's, there's a couple things I wanted to bring up about yeah, this pro tour. One is where does this run by Nathan Stoyer rank in the oh, like sure. pantheon of Magic runs? Like, I, I don't think anybody's ever touching the the Kai. You know, I, I don't know what I think it was three pro tours in a row that he won. Sure. Like the, and Kai at this point is like the Wilt Chamberlain of yeah. of Magic. Yes. Like he, yeah. he, he it was a different era. He did things that are just impossible to do now. Yeah. Um. But really, the, I think the only you know modern comparison to what Nathan has done over these last six months is LSV's run where he had three Pro Tour top eights, then took two off to do coverage or like a year off or something, and when he came back, top eighted three more in a row. So effectively yeah. six in a row that he played. Sort of so he like did the a, Jordan. Yeah, he, he did the Jordan, but he didn't win any of them. Yeah. Um. So I mean, even won Worlds, lost. What did he lose? The final, like the finals. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. I can't and then, keep up with everything because, like, it feels like he hasn't lost. He hasn't lost yeah. a tournament in a very long time. Yeah. Right. Didn't Didn't he also just win one of the SCG Con events like a month or yes. two ago? Yes. <laughs> he went. And he. I think he did it with Rhinos or whatever. Like he yeah. Rhinos. And but, I don't uh, think, I'm sure he barely played with that deck because he was yep. busy, you know, preparing for the Pro Tour and more important yep. events. He just like ca- casually his shows real up life, and wins one of those. his real life job as well, which yeah. he's doing. Um, and he mo- he's moving, ac- he moved, just moved across the country. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. So uh, a few things. Um, I literally just blanked. Who's the tennis player you love? Uh, Federer. Federer. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you, you talk about like comparison, comparing some of these people, to, like you talk about Wilt Chamberlain with Kai. I feel like Finkel is Federer, just, you know, uh, over the span of, like, 20 years, like, he could just win a tournament at any point in time, but, like, maybe Federer is not the greatest example because he won a lot, but, you know, Finkel just won a lot over the span of his career, and he would, like, go away for a few years and be really good still, you know what I'm saying? There's all this stuff like that. Ranking Stoyer historically into what goes on now, I don't know if we could do it um, correctly, I think is the way I'm going to say it, because... I think what he's doing is utterly insane. I think it's utterly unheard of, absurd, because no no disrespect to anything that happened in the past but there's a there's a chance that the tournaments that Stoyer's been playing in like the the pro tours and the mocks and all these things have been more difficult overall than some of the events that these historic giants have played in just because the average magic player is so much better right and i'm not saying that like at the top end like the best players aren't as good or are better now than they were back then i'm saying the average player has so much has so many advantages over the, the the players back then like just the the amount of stuff on the internet now right the training yeah. sites the information that's out there just the plethora of data that you can get on what decks to play because the thing is you go to these events any now and like back in like even back in the day when i was playing the pt like there were free rounds like there were rounds you play against somebody who just wasn't that great maybe like one spike to ptq like myself included right who spiked to ptq and like showed up with a deck that wasn't very good right or they just weren't prepared for the format it's a lot harder to run into that nowadays. You know, like, you know, you probably still have a smaller, a small amount of people who could actually win the event from the beginning of the tournament. But I still think that if this is an all-time run, even if it ends now, like, you know, let's say he just starts having normal results right now. Like, he's yeah, in his yeah. 99th percentile, right? Let's say he morphs into an, a human. Yeah, let's let's say he, he can believe he isn't a god, right? <laughs> uh, um. I still think that this is one of the greatest runs in the history of Magic. 
that we have ever seen, even though it's a very small condensed one, like small sample size, however you want to put it. I still think this is one of the most impressive things that's ever been done because of like, I didn't think this would ever happen again in the game. But then, you know, we say that all the time at sports, right? Like, oh, there'll never be like another LeBron. There'll never be another Jordan. There'll never be another Federer or whatever. But when competition rises and everyone gets better, right? Like like the Tiger thing that happened in the PGA Tour, right? Like everyone's just so much better at golf over the last 20 years because of Tiger. Sometimes there will be that person who just like, I I have the natural talent, plus I'm willing to put in all the extra work. Yeah, they, they raise the, the bar. And they raise the bar again, right? Because that's just the way humans work with this stuff. Like when someone raises the bar, someone's like, you know what? I'm going to raise it again. You know, and that's what Nathan Stoyer is doing right now. And let's say he has just a normal career from here on out. Like he's human, like maybe has another couple top eights, never wins another big thing. If they ever bring back Hall of Fame stuff, he's in, in my book. He's a Hall yeah. of Famer in my book once he puts up just the prerequisite of the actual events played, you know? Unless he just retires and I'd be like, okay, he's still in, right? And they'll you will talk about this run in probably like your top three runs of all time, if not your top two, like along with the Kai run. It, yeah, it's it was. And that, I mean, I, I haven't, you know, poured over matches that he's played to try to see if he's like doing anything differently. It, it kind of feels just like he, he's one of those players that, you know, he's not reinventing the wheel, but there's just no weaknesses. Yeah, just, I think it's I think it's exactly that, Ross. Like, I think it's just that. I think he plays unbelievably exceptionally well. Um, picks, you know, his decks really well. Like he does all the intangibles. He does everything he needs to before the tournament, up to the tournament to win the tournament, and then he does well at the tournament, right? Like he he runs a little hotter maybe than average and in the right spot, right? Like has the card that he needs to have in the moment that he needs to, but like he also puts himself into those positions, right? It's like it's about creating your own luck, right? Yeah. And getting lucky and putting yourself into positions to get lucky. And he seems to be doing all that while also high rolling all at the same time. And that's not taking anything away from him. It's just things are going well for you. Like, you know, ride the rush. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we're in the middle of it too. And we're sort of talking about it like it's over. And it's just, you know, who knows how, how many more tournaments in a row he can continue to crush. And, you know, this is one of those things where it's easy to, you know, lose sight of it while it's happening. But if you're a fan of magic, a fan of this game, like, you know, take a moment to sort of take it in and realize that, you know, this is we magic are in the history presence of being made. Yeah. We are yeah. in the presence of greatness right now. Yeah. We're and, all witnesses. Yeah, no, we are all. And just, just from a personal standpoint too, of like, of this kid, because to me, he's still, he's still a child. God, he's so young. Um, People, people might remember this if you ever followed Ross or I's career. There was, there were a few, there were a few events, especially if you remember, you know, team get tan in a trophy. There was a few events where, like, I really actually thought we were going to do it. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, this one feels different. And one of the ones is a team event where I thought we were going to win it was in Las Vegas, where Brady was playing a good standard deck. It was the first time you played Is It Phoenix, and you had like three or four gut shots in your deck. And gut shot was the freest card I've ever seen in my life. I kept laughing because, like, <laughs> you'd be like, turn one Seer Visions, your opponent would play a Noble Hierarch, and you'd untap, be like, some cantrip, Faithless Loading, put these Phoenixes yeah. in me, or gut shot your thing, attack you for six, you're dead. Like, you know, like the game is literally over, and everyone's playing Noble Hierarch or, you know, one ones for one. Yeah, and you or just have gut shot in Infect. Your deck. Yeah, everyone's playing Infect, humans, you know, all these decks, just Noble Hierarch decks in general. And, I mean, your deck single-handedly changed the form and the fact that no heart became unplayable. <laughs> like, it was really funny. And you were yeah. just getting the freest wins I've ever seen, and I was doing fine in Legacy. 
And remember, we get to the top eight, we play this team in the top eight. And I'm playing against a literal child in the legacy seat. You know, he looks 12 or looks 13, right? And I can't remember you or Brent, one of y'all lose a close match and I lose my match. And, you know, afterwards we go to dinner or whatever. Yeah, I think it was Brennan who asked. He was like, so what happened in your match? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just lost. He's like, you lost that kid? And I'm like, dude, that kid is really good. And I think he's going to be very good. And it was just Nathan's story. I had no idea it was just going to be like, you know, the best player of all time or whatever. Right. But <laughs> yeah. I was like, like makes you feel better like, about yourself in hindsight. I, I think the direct, yeah, I think the direct quote was, I remember he was like, you know, what happened with that, with that kid, the kid that beat you. And I think I just like said something along the lines of, he's just better than me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know when you can just tell yeah. when you're like, yeah, this kid's just going to be better than me at the game. And it's, it's, it's close. I mean, it's not yeah. close. I don't, I don't mind admitting it. Like he's, yeah, he's I, I remember special. you saying that. Because yeah. I also remember just sitting down and being like, oh, Tannen's playing against a small child. Like, yeah. you know, this is great. We're going to yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he beat the piss out of me. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I, I, I was playing against Infect and, you know, crushed my opponent. Or uh, yeah. it was, sure. it I think it was hardened scales. This is sure. another, you know, mono 1 1 deck. Yeah, another deck that's insanely good for your your deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kid, they yeah, I think, yeah, I think Britain lost like a really close mirror or something, which you know, yeah, he happen. did. Like, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, and that one, that went into there, and I was like, man, this is pretty anticlimactic. You know, I was like, at least I think we, I thought we were going to get a decent other you know finals loss or whatever. But I just remember very clearly saying that kid's better than me, <laughs> and he's like, yep. you know, he looks twelve. I think he was fifteen or something at the time. But you know, I knew he was good too because I had talked to the kid before because he had gone to an invitational once. It was like sitting by himself one night at dinner. And me and Brennan much we were like, hey, like, come over and talk to us or whatever, you know, like, so the kid just wasn't sitting by himself, yeah. you know, wherever, because I didn't know if he, like, lived there or not. Anyway, um, there was an announcement that came out of the Pro Tour. Hold, hold on. The, oh, yeah, the other, sorry. <laughs> there was one other thing I, I wanted sure. to talk about, and that was, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the sort of layout and the the scope of the sure. convention itself in, uh, this was Minneapolis? Yes. Uh, I had but, to think for a second. I've been in so many different cities lately. It's, <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, it all just bleeds. Oh my god, um, dude! It's, it's so many convention centers and hotels. But uh, my experience in Philly earlier this year, um, you know, I don't know how much you remember about the the Philadelphia Convention Center, but I, the tournament itself, the Pro Tour, was at the was on the top level. You know, where you have to get like go up the escalators. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of yep. isolated or separated from the rest of the con. That was similar. Could, yeah. You could sort of enter in a way where you like bypassed all of that. So. You know, to me, it felt a lot more like a regular pro tour, and I knew there was a bunch of other stuff going on, but I really didn't venture into that space. Sure, were you? Were you was this one a little bit more, you know, connected? They were, they were the building. I mean, the rooms were next to each other, right? You could technically go yeah. through a door. Those that like do not, you know the you know the walls they put up at convention centers, the the brown weird walls that they put up. Yeah, to like break one room from another because it's just a giant hanger, you know. They, they did that, but, like, you could walk out of this room, walk 100 feet to your right, and then there's another door to get into the, like, you know, the next one, you know, and stuff like that. So it was it was separated but not sequestered. Yeah. Kind of like, okay. did you did you play in the RC in Atlanta? I did. It's kind of like that. Remember the player's room felt, like, yeah. kind of pushed off to the side in, like, its own, like, area? There was still a, um, a place where magic, but, you know, the magic section of the mm. dream hack, so... Mm. It was a lot like that. We said it wasn't yeah. Dream Act, obviously. So, yeah. All right. Can we move on, or did you have more? No, no, that's it. Okay, cool. Because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to do that yet. But there's an announcement that came out at the Spur Tour about reinvigorating everybody's love, uh, interest, and what's what's the right word here? And just confidence. Mm-hmm. I think confidence yeah. is going confidence and standard going forward. Because one of the biggest problems I've heard of 
standard my entire life of playing magic is and i've had this problem too is you know it's hard to convince someone to buy into a standard deck even when they're relatively cheap right you know because you could get decent ones for like 100 200 bucks you know in, in some formats and some formats are much more expensive right but in some formats they're pretty expensive you know they're two three four hundred dollars and for the average player like they don't want to spend that much money on a card that or cards that might not be worth anything you know next year or oh when the next set comes out my deck's no longer good you know that kind of stuff so with that in mind they're going to change how the full length of standard is going to be in the future now rotation is going to take even longer than it has and i remember the first time they did this when they went to a two-year rotation I actually wasn't very happy about it because I liked the faster moving standards and I'm kind of indifferent now since like I don't really play. It's kind of hard for me to have, you know, I don't play competitive standard because I'm usually covering it. Um, it's now moved to three years and they're going to have regular windows for band announcements like they had in the past, right? Where they're like, it's every, you know, X amount of months or whatever before the next set, like uh, around this time is going to be the banning. And then when new sets come out, if I, if I remember this right, it's like when new sets come out, they have a small window in which they can emergency ban something, but they said it's only going to be something like Oko. You know, something where they're yeah, like, we made a mistake. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like some, or uh, Feldar Guardian. You know, they like, yeah. oh, we didn't realize we put an infinite combo, you know, kind of thing. Like, they realize they made a mistake and then they can, like, quickly fix something, right? So, um, this seems like a good idea, you know, in a way to get players to, to buy in a little bit more. Because of the fact that, I mean, Standard has been kind of on its last legs here for the last couple of years, and they've they've had a little bit of interest getting into it, you know, with the Pro Tours going on, with the RCs going on, but it feels like, hey, you've been kind of forced to play this format again, but look, they're listening to the players, they're listening to the feedback, and they're at least acknowledging the feedback and changing something and trying to change something for the better when it comes to that feedback. And I have to believe that that is the main constructive criticism they get towards Standard is... I just don't want to buy a deck that or cards that might not be good or good enough or worth nothing in like six months. Yeah. And uh, I agree. Uh, you know, and so the, clearly they're trying to target that issue. Uh, and this is, you know, the, the obvious fix, you know, something, certainly something needed to change because nobody yes. was playing standard and, uh, you know, that's an important part of the magic ecosystem. And uh, I think it, when it comes to the issues like this, it's important that we frame the the problem correctly because the perspective of high-level competitive players like the two of us um, can sometimes be, you know, short-sighted because the, you know, we're going to just look at it from, you know, what promotes, you know, uh, you know, a fun metagame for us to play and, um, you know, and those issues, you know, what, 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 you know, what makes us want to play the format is having a variety of decks and, and interesting gameplay, but the, the, and, you know, we're less concerned with card availability and cards rotating. So I think that it's easy to overlook that aspect when you look at it from the perspective of high level competitive players, but that is the real problem here because the, one of the most important, you know, uh, you know, aspects of high-level competitive magic from the viewer's perspective is being able to replicate what you see on the screen. So even if we're playing standard at tournaments like Pro Tour or like you know you know other you know big uh, you know events with coverage, 
if there are no opportunities to play standard at an LGS uh, and, you know, other local venues, then it doesn't really matter. So you need to make standard matter at the ground floor, at the grassroots level. It needs to be built up from the bottom. Yeah, yeah. in order to make it matter at the highest level. So it's got to be bottom up, not top down. And so you've got to take the perspective of those players that are playing at the local level and fix those issues first. And that's yeah. where we get the issue with rotation. So um, I want to make a comment on one of the things you said, one of the first points you made real quick. The one yeah. about um, like making people care and like buying the standards in replicating what they can see. I think there's a few ideas that like Wizards maybe hasn't considered or that could possibly change. And it's something I think I've talked about this before on the show. I've been saying this for, I feel like, well over five years. And they've done something like this on Magic Online before. But I don't know why on like Arena or Magic Online, there isn't just like a little code or a barcode that you scan or some button you can push that just has like a buy it now function to just get the Pro Tour winning deck. And then like one of the other two or three different decks from the top eight. Yeah. You know, like on Arena, like, hey, look, 100 bucks, you just get the stack. Or 50 bucks, you get the stack. No wild cards needed, no nothing. Bam, you get it. You just get all of it. And like... I don't think it costs too much to program that into the program. And then people might get, you know, more into it because it's so hard and daunting to go into arena and build a deck from scratch because like you just can't get the cards exactly that you want if you don't have a ton of wild cards already, right? Like uh, I have multiple friends that want to go up to the RC in Dallas where I'm at right now. And I've been letting people use my arena account. Because they're like, oh, I, 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 I don't have a rental service on Magic Online. Look, here's my, here's my login. Play on my arena account. I have everything plus, you know, 500 wild cards. Like, just build whatever you want. Go nuts, right? And play test and stuff. Because the ease at which you give people access to these decks in other realms, some percentage of that is going to reflect into the real world. And then you could do, even do the, some of this, the stuff into the real world as well. You, you've seen this in the past where they really tried with the Pioneer decks. What were they called? Um your challenge decks or whatever yeah something gave like you that. like a, a playable deck right and yeah it wasn't the best version possible of the decks right but out of the box it was a playable 75 you know it had a sideboard 60 main some of the best cards you know you know if you got a deck that was like lotus healer right you got the lotus fields right you got the cards that are important and you could figure it out and then with minimal attempt you could really upgrade your deck from there and i think if you start doing that with standard with three-year rotations if you had a fast enough turnaround on the product it can sell. That's the problem, is the product has to be turned around fast enough, right? And then not be made obsolete. That's that's just a big problem. So I don't know. Like there's I feel like there's maybe something you can do, but again, that's even more product that's coming out. And we're already getting massive product fatigue from a yeah. lot of things that are coming out. There's and, so and, much coming out. And that's a product that's easier to do in a bigger format, right? Because there's yeah. gonna be less change from exactly. set to set. So your yeah. Lotus Seal deck is probably still playable a year from now. Whereas yeah. your standard deck might not be. Yeah, like what What if like red and black, like you buy the red black deck and also the next set is like green focus and your deck's not as good anymore. You're like, well, yeah. shit. You know? But I do I do like the idea of Watsy trying to sort of grease the wheels and, and make it really easy for people to get back into standard if they've especially been away right from now. the format for years. Yeah, especially right now, right? Like if you're going to push this, do yeah. it right. Like make it a little easier. Like maybe and it's it's weird to frame it this way because I don't know if they'll ever do it. Maybe even like take a tiny bit of hit on the amount of profit that you'll make because you're not just selling infinite boxes to invest in your long-term profit of getting people back into standard. Because like 
do you remember the heyday of the SCG tour when, you know, you'd have like well over a thousand persons at people at every single open and they were playing standard every week. And you know, they're, they're making innovations and people were super interested in standard. I remember standard does fire at my LGS with like 30, 40, 50 people. Sometimes like now you, you couldn't even get eight. I don't think for standard and yeah. people would be getting decks all the time and wanting to play. Cause there was all this, you know, all this stuff and it was great. And I think that part kind of hurts the game as well is like, yeah, it's cool. We're, we're into standard because like there's this thing every three months, but like, what about in between and nobody at my LGS plays the format. So yeah, what am I supposed to do? doesn't really have a, you know, anything An like the SCG yeah. tour to, to rely on, you know, NRG has scaled back a little bit this year. Uh, you know, the, all those regional tournament series tend to just focus on modern because they don't have, you know, the capital to, you know, try to sort of invest in standard themselves. And because it's going to take some time to build up that viewership base for them. Um, so it, it really right now is, is sort of all on Watsy's shoulders and trying to bring back this format. But, you know, we've seen that what Watsy can do to reinvigorate formats, you know, when or or just, you know, build them up for the first time. You know, Watsy put a lot of effort into building modern and now it's one of the most popular constructed formats around. They put a lot of effort recently into reinvigorating Pioneer and now Pioneer is played regularly, um, you know, after it was sort of left for dead for a while. So I imagine, you know, that there's a track record of success here. So I think we're going to get back to that era where standard is, you know, relevant on a regular basis for competitive Magic players. And that's good because standard has a lot very different gameplay than older formats. It's a lot more mid-range heavy if you just like playing those sort of attrition-oriented, um, you know, uh, very tactical games of Magic. You know, the, the standard is the format you you want to be in. Um, and that's a, a style of Magic that a lot of people like, you know. Maybe yeah, me, there's blocking but... <laughs> involved. Yeah, there's blocking involved. And like, yeah. I think there was a quote from like Reed Duke way back in the day. He's like, any format that involves blocking is a good format, in my opinion. And I like thought about that. And I was like, yeah, I remember some of the standard formats where like, you know, we were attacking and blocking and doing some like really cool stuff in, in, with that. And I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it was just so much fun to like have formats where, you know, you played back and forth and made board states and stuff. And I, I, I really liked that. And I liked the, yeah, there were aggro decks that were control decks, but again, there's mid-range decks as well. Like, that's real cool. And I miss those days. My favorite deck of all time is a standard deck. And I told you about this. At some point in time, I'm going to rebuild that standard deck in paper, along with, like, you know, the other two or three really good decks of the format, have them in boxes, and then when I go to events, I'm just going to sit down and be like, Ross, be like, I'll, I'll hold my bag up, but do you, like, grab a deck? And you just grab one, and I'll grab one, and then we'll play. Okay, but as long as I only get the monoblue deck. Well, I... It, it wasn't that format, the mono blue, mono black, <laughs> blue white control. It was more the the blue white red like flash snapcaster restoration angel. Uh, format I thought like you were jund... talking about the mono blue curious obsession deck. Yeah, well, that's that's one of my favorite decks of all time as well for a multitude of reasons. And you know, we talk about standard. That deck cost eighteen dollars or whatever for seventy five <laughs> cards, and most of it was the fact that a couple of cards were a few bucks, and that's it. Yeah. There was like a, there was only like two or three cards that actually cost money in that deck, and it was like. The Curious Obsessions and the Gens were like a dollar or two just because of that deck. Yeah. You're, it's you're, talking, about, uh, you're talking about Innistrad, uh, sure. uh, Return to Ravnica standard. Yeah, the, the Mono Blue Dector and Mono Black would actually cost a few dollars because Night Vale Spectre and Basa were like not cheap. Yeah, they were, that they was the next season. That was our, uh, RTR or Theros. I'm about, I meant Mono Blue Shitters is what we used to call that deck. Sure. <laughs> the one that had like the one one for one that can't be blocked. You're like, yep, put that card in my deck. Four of, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Do you have any? Do you guys have any bulk? Because I need to. I need to build the mono blue deck. So I need like <laughs> sixty cards out of the bulk. You know, kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah. So, uh, I hope standard gets to where it was in the past because actually it's one of my favorite ways to to play Magic. I really loved my days of playing competitive standard locally and you know flying around the country and doing that. And yeah, while we may never get to really show that off again at the at the way that it happened in the past i at least hope that some of the people in the future get to experience some of what we did during what i call like the golden age of competitive magic which was like you know right before mpl probably like the 10 years before that yeah maybe 15 because like some of the early 2000s had some really really awesome competitive magic as well no i i i doubt we get back to to that level anytime soon but just having standard as another option is going to be very nice because you know, playing nothing but, you know, two, basically just, uh, uh, pioneer and modern can, uh, get um, boring, I guess. As I'm, as I'm, uh, as I'm talking to you about this, uh, quick side note, uh, the location for flesh and blood national championships just got, uh, revealed and I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's, it's in Vegas again. So nice. Let's go. I love, I love good locations for tournaments. So yeah. My 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 major worry is, uh, you know, and I think they've immediately started addressing it because Watsi had that, you know, concern as well. Is standard can you know easily be taken over by an overpowered card or two, mm-hmm. and so they're going to need to be more vigilant and more aggressive, like in how they or, you know yeah. police the format with bans. Uh, and I think that's the you know move, the move to regular ban announcements is. is a sign that they are going to do that and and be uh you know heavier heavier handed um at this point i i would be very surprised if this time next year a fable of the mirror breaker is legal and standard yeah that one i'm, I'm interested in like I, I get it like i get it it just feels weird to ban a card like that i think the only reason that i get really i mean i do think it's really good but the ubiquity of the it's card way is too good yeah I, okay i i agree why does the I, goblin make a treasure when it attacks? I, I don't know, Ross. I Just really have it make a treasure know. when it connects. Yeah, I, I really don't know. That's the part that's always yeah, messed with me is that the, every, the first chapter is too good. Yeah, so it's it literally makes two must-kill threats. Like, you can't let the goblin live because it's just going to make a bunch of treasures and you're going to fall way too far behind. And you certainly can't let the reflection live. So it's a three-mana card that provides, you know, card it's selection and one two must-answer threats. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like a two and a half to three for one almost every yeah. time. Anyway. And it's ridiculously easy to cast. Sure. Like, I, yeah. I just don't get it. It's, and I mean, it's just far and away the best card in standard, and every yeah. single good deck plays it. Now, Ross, speaking of things that piss you off and that are going to make <laughs> you rant, there was one other thing we wanted to, to make sure that we uh, talked about this week. We finally found out what the ring does from the Lord of the Rings set. So, like, what happens when the ring tempts you? And uh, I know that you thought that this was. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, a huge flavor fail, I think, is the way you were putting it, right? Yeah, I, it's it's just all positive. It only Dude, okay, does good let me, things. Let me let me re- let me uh, let me read this to everybody real quick, okay? So it says this is a lot, by the way. So if you want to know what the ring does, pay attention. This is a lot. All right. So the ring tempts you. As the ring tempts you, you get an emblem named the ring. If you don't have one, then your emblem gains its next ability and you choose a creature you control to become or remain your ring bearer. Now, there's four abilities that you choose from from those. So you're, you're going to get through the, the abilities, right? Do you have to do them in order? 
Yeah. I think you do, right? It okay. all, that's why it says right. next, and you see the little sure. arrows on the design. Yeah, sure. so you, well, you go I, top I'm down. At one, yeah, I'm looking at one that doesn't have arrows. Anyway, so the first one. The ring can tempt you even if you... Well, okay, I'll give the abilities uh, after I do the... There's a, there's a, there's more rule text, sorry. Yeah. This one does have arrows, you were saying. The ring can tempt you even if you don't control a creature. The ring gains abilities in order from top to bottom. There we go. Once it gains an ability, it has that ability for the rest of the game. Each time the ring tempts you, you must choose a creature if you control one. Each player can have only one emblem named the ring and only one ring bearer at a time. All right, so the first one. Your ring bearer is legendary, and it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. Okay, so like already pretty good. Like the you know the fact that you, you get evasion. The second one. So like the Tim turning invisible, I guess. The second one. When your ring bearer attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. So you get to like loot, get some selection. Kind of cool. The third one. Whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller sacrifices it at the end of combat. Again, pretty good. And the fourth one. Which, I mean, like the third one, again, is like, it's hard for you to block profitably as well when you can't block of greater power. So, like, yeah. you're going to be losing your creatures. All right. And the fourth one. Whenever your ring bearer deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life. So, yeah. So, it does all these things sequentially every time you're tempted. The biggest surprise for you and for me was there's no negative here. Which yeah. is where you you feel the fl the flavor fail is right, which I kind of agree with. It's ridiculous. It's oh, just yeah. all positives, right? Like it's, this it's is, a cool this, sub game, but like, but this is supposed to be this is a set that is completely built around you know a, a different universe and getting that crossover with magic, and you know this is an IP that is you know very very well known, and the so the flavor in this set is incredibly important. And yet you consciously just like designed one of the major mechanics of the set to not match how it works in the IP. It, I just can't like, I, I, he I heard their explanation where like they, they started with some negative things on the ring and it made people not want to play it. And that was too problematic. But I do not buy that there was no way to put something negative in here. Like, I assumed that it would be positive to begin with, and then as the ring tempted you, like, you know, if you got tempted three or four times, you know, maybe th bad things started happening, but the you first thing you know, one or two. You yeah. or something, or you lose like, some amount of life or something, yeah. Th there's n there's just no way that that was not possible, you know, to to, to make work. Uh, and I, ju I don't understand it. I'm honestly, like, shocked. It, it feels like they it makes me think that they rushed to this set in some way or like that's how i know, felt too. cut resources from it and i can't imagine why like this feels like the most important release of this year uh you know maybe i'm really wrong in, in that estimation but it seems to me like wizards is doing a lot of work and putting a lot of resources into trying to draw fans of related ips into magic you know, but they've done a lot of these crossovers with the universes beyond. They did the, the, you know, Ikoria crossing over into the, you know, Kaiju cards. And now they're doing, you know, this, this felt to me like the biggest one of those yet. And one of the marquee aspects of it, they just kind of punted. Yeah, no, I, I like, I can't even agree. With, I mean, I can't even disagree with you. Like I can't for, for argument's sake, like I can't find, you know, usually I'm the one that like, has this like small voice of reason. Like, well, I can see where they were going with that. I just, I, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just completely indefensible. Yeah. Oh, uh, indefensible is different. I, I think it is <laughs> defensible, especially when you said that like 
they said they found that people didn't want to play with it, etc. It made you not want to play the cards that, you know, the ring tempts you cards. But there's like so many of them in this set that like if you play limited in the set, which, you know, I'll probably draft this set once or twice. It looks like it's a cool draft set. And, uh, you know, I, I like playing limited. You know, I like drafting. So I'm going to try it out. But yeah, it just being a net positive. Like I have a feeling that the games in which my opponent has a ring bearer and a ring active and I don't are going to feel kind of shitty for me. We're like, there's no, well, oh, if they keep doing this, at least I'll, you know, I'll get some value from them having the ring for this many turns or something, yeah. you know? This feels a lot like, you know, another initiative, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, monarch kind of mechanic like, where... The ring never corrupts, and, like, the <laughs> ring corrupts, like, you know? Yeah. Somebody's going to, you know, if they print enough efficient ways to tempt, you're just going to have, you know, a deck that is just trying to spam this, and it's going to be really annoying to play against because, you know... You can't you can't ever deal with the emblem, and you're gonna just gonna have to keep killing every single ring bearer, and you know the, eventually you're gonna run out of removal because they're probably gonna be able to make a ton of fucking creatures, and now you know you can't really interact in combat, so it really limits your ability to play the game, and all your opponent had to do was just you know jam a bunch of cards that say the ring tempts you in their deck, mm. yeah, along exactly. with a bunch of creatures, yeah. Uh, speaking of limited, have you played limited in the newest set in standard yet? I have not, and I'm really pissed off that the Pro Tour I had to play had a shitty fucking limited format, and apparently yeah, this one, one was awesome. One was not very good, and to use a phrase that the kids today are using, this one is goaded. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very good, Ross. I love it. It's very cube light. I played one pre-release mm-hmm. for funsies. And I opened the worst sealed pool I've seen. I've I've looked at a bunch of other people's sealed pools from various tournaments, and I opened easily the worst one. Yeah. Yeah, not surprised. You run the best <laughs> I've ever heard. But uh, the set is great. I'm loving drafting it. It's it's also awesome, too. Like, um, Kyle Rose, a.k.a. The Ham, who uh, streams quite a bit, he has a new podcast out where he talks limited, and he's been talking this set with his podcast host. And it's him and the other guy are usually, like, number one and number two on 17 lands for limited. I think Kyle Rose is probably just the best limited player in the world. But anyway, um, they both were talking about it. And they were talking about, like, literally a few days ago, they developed a new archetype in the set and were just bashing people with it. I'm like, we are, like, weeks and weeks and, like, months into this set, and it felt like it was solved, and we figured everything out. And then, like, other new stuff's coming out. And, like, I love sets like this. This is just... It's just a triumph of limited. I think it's extremely great. Yeah, there's a ton of rares in it because there's extra rares in the set. But there's a ton of removal and ways to interact with, like, you know, creatures and permanents in the set, too, which also lead to the bombs not being as impactful as they possibly can. But, I mean, you're still going to run into games. Like, I had a game the other day was, like, relatively close, and my opponent cast Shieldred, you know, the the whispering one or whatever, the one that makes me sacrifice and they get to return something during yeah. upkeeps. And I was like, yeah, I'm just dead. <laughs> like, I just, I, I can't kill this card. I'm just immediately dead. You know, stuff like that happens, right? But that's kind of like how Cube is. Like, you get a lot of really sweet games, and then every now and then you'll get a couple non-games. But... Overall, huge fan of the set. I think if you haven't given it a go, give it a go. It's it's very, very good. And I, yeah. I love everything that's going on. There's tons of little sub, sub archetypes. I could not say that phrase. Sub archetypes that you could draft through this set. And I am just a big fan. It's quickly becoming one of my, or if not my favorite draft set of all time. Uh, I mean, it's to me, uh, it all starts with the mana fixing. You know, we've seen historically sets with good mana fixing tend to be very good for for limited, whether it's, you know, original Ravnica, Cons, um, you know, or this one just off the top of my head. 
Uh, I guess Alara wasn't great, but yeah, here's a good example. The other day I opened a pack and my rare was, uh, the invasion that's five colors and I like snap picked it and I never had a problem casting it ever. And <laughs> it wasn't like my deck was mana base was a, like a mismatch. Just never had a problem casting it because if you want to go that route, you can, but also like one of the better ways to play this format is to draft like really synergistic two color aggro decks with like one or two tricks because in this format it's one of the most ever formats of like where you're incentivized to, to play something pre-combat that I've ever played in and so like having any kind of tricks is great in this format as well plus Convoke has just been so good in this format like I never realized how good Convoke is like there's a card in this set that I thought was unplayable and is now going way high up on my list where it's just a 3-2 artifact creature for 3 with Convoke. Like, that's it. Yeah. Just, and you know, like, just the, the card that lets you double spell mm -hmm. very consistently and very early. Yeah. yeah, you have a 1 drop or a 2 drop, you're going to have like a really busted turn. Like, one of the best commons in the entire set, like, I think the highest win rate common in the entire set, it's Windrake, except it puts a 1-1 one, one into play when it comes to play. So then you just, like, Convoke out all this, like, broken stuff as quickly as possible. You know what I mean? You're just putting multiple creatures in play as much as possible on, like, turn 3 and stuff. So... Yeah, the performance great. Everyone should try it and get back to me. And let you know. Let me know what you think. But yeah, and I had to play fucking one limited. Just ridiculous. Yeah, just always the luckiest Ross. Always I'm very mad. Very I mad. Can, I can I can tell. But uh, I think that's gonna be it for this week's episode. We'll be back as soon as possible with another one. We'll possibly be able to have next week. Um, I do have a lot coming up. I have the arena championships coming up next weekend. Plus. The weekend after that, I have the regional championship in Dallas. I'll be doing coverage for both of those, so be on the lookout for that. Watch those shows. They're going to be great. also be in Dallas. Ooh. Uh, Brent, I'm hearing... I, I can hear you perking up right now as you're doing the show, as you're editing it right now, because he lives in Dallas. Ross and I owe you dinner. That's going to happen in Dallas, as long as Ross is reasonable. Yeah. and Because he's the wild card. <laughs> so if anybody is a friend of the cast or anything, if you see all of us that weekend, please come up, say hi. Uh, give us a hug or a fist bump or something. Uh, let us know uh, that you're there, that you're a fan of the show. We really, really appreciate it. So um, until the next episode, we'll see y'all later. Later.